Although in general, whether there is an obligation of Yibam or not depends on the time of death when the man dies. So if let's say he has no children at the time of death, then even if he had a child before, if that child had died before he died, then there would not be an obligation of Yibam. And the same applies for the Yavam. If the Yavam is born after the man died, so that brother is not able to perform the mitzvah of Yibam. However, there is a sort of exception to this, and that is if the dead man's wife was pregnant at the time of death, and then a few months later she gave birth to a child. So although at the time of death the man did not have any children, nevertheless, since at least his wife was pregnant at the time of death, so if she does end up having a surviving child, then there will be no obligation of Yibum. In addition, at least according to the conclusion of the Gemara, if the child ends up not surviving, so either she miscarries, or if it's not known after how many months of pregnancy the baby was born, so in such a case if the baby dies within the first 30 days of its life, that is a sign that the baby was never actually destined to survive, and we view that like a miscarriage. So in such a case that the child does not end up being a surviving child, so it emerges that there is an obligation of Yibim Chalitza. Now what happens if the Yovon performed Yibim Chalitza during the pregnancy, before he waited to see whether there would be an obligation or not? So even if it turns out there is going to be an obligation, the Yibim Chalitza which he did then is not valid. Again, this is learned from Pesukim, that during this period of pregnancy, things are put on hold. The Halacha states that you need to wait and see whether there is an obligation. And only once it is clear that there is an obligation, is one able to fulfill that obligation. Be as it may, says the Mishnah, one who performs Chalitza to his Yavoma, the Nimtzis Moberes, and she is found to be pregnant. The Yolda, and then she gave birth. In a time, in a situation, where the child is a surviving child, he is still permitted to marry the relatives of his chalutza, the woman on whom he performed chalitza, and the chalutza is permitted to marry the relatives of him, of the Yavam, because the chalitza was not actually valid chalitza at all. There was no obligation even at the end, because the child did survive, and likewise, he does not invalidate the chalutza from then marrying a koyen, although the halacha is that a chalutza may not marry a koyen with jabonon, since over here she is not considered a chalutza, because even at the end there was no obligation of chalitza, so she can go and marry a koyen. What happens if the child does not end up being a surviving child? So who also seha? He is forbidden to marry her relatives, and she is forbidden to marry his relatives, and as well as that of Solomon Akahuna, he has invalidated her from going ahead and marrying a Koyen. Now, according to what we explained, even in this case where there is an obligation of Chalitza or Yibum, the Chalitza which she already did is not valid. So according to the strict letter of the law, she is not yet invalid to marry a Koyen, and she shouldn't really be forbidden to marry his relatives either. However, this is Medjad Bonon, since it does appear at the end of the day that she did perform Chalitza, because it emerges that there was no child, so there is an obligation of Chalitza or Yibum. So people will think that the Chalitza was valid. So even if the Yovan would, let's say, die before managing to do another Chalitza, Medjad Bonon would view it as if she did receive Chalitza already. Mishnah Beis, this time somebody did Yibum and married his Yivoma, and then Menitzis Mulberes. She is found to be pregnant, the Yoldan gives birth. So now this is more problematic, because if there's no obligation of Yibum, then he violated a very severe Avera of marrying his brother's wife. 
So says the Mishnah, In a time, in a scenario where the child does end up being a surviving child, certainly Yotzi, he has to divorce her. He doesn't have to give a get, because the marriage was never considered a marriage, since one is not able to marry his brother's wife. But the point is, he can no longer continue living with her. Secondly, the Chayavim B'Karban, both the Yovom and the Yavoma are obligated to bring a Karban Chatos for unintentionally having illegal relations. And on the other hand, if the child does not end up being a surviving child, then he can remain married with her because there is an obligation of Yibum. And again, according to what we learnt, he hasn't actually yet performed the mitzvah of Yibum because the Yibum which she did whilst she was pregnant is not valid Yibum. But the next time he has relations with her, so that would be the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Yibum and then they can continue being married. Now we're going to learn later on in a future Mishnah that to avoid such a situation happening, one should not perform Yibum within three months of the death of the man in order that they can see clearly whether she is pregnant or not. However, what happens if she did not wait and she ends up giving birth nine months after the man died? So we were in a situation of a doubt as to whether the child is the child of the original husband who died or whether it's the child of the Yavam. Sophic ben Tishalarishain, it's a doubt as to whether this baby was born after nine months, in which case it is the son of the first husband. Sophic ben Shivalachrain, and it's a doubt whether he was born after seven months from the last husband. In general, in those days, if a baby was born after eight months, then it wouldn't survive. That's why the Mishnah chose a case of seven months and nine months. Be it as it may, says the Mishnah, Yotzi, he does have to divorce her. Because if indeed the child is the child of the original husband, so then there's no obligation of Yibum. And it's forbidden to marry her because she is the wife of his brother. And in this case, he will have to give a get. Because it could be that indeed there was an obligation of Yibum. In which case the Yibum was valid. And they are considered to be husband and wife. So when he divorces her, he does have to give her a get. Secondly, the Havlad Kosher. The child is valid, meaning he's not considered to be a mamzer. A mamzer is a child who is born as a result of illegal relations. So in this case, although it's a doubt as to which husband the child came from, either way, he's not considered to be a mamzer. Because if the child is a child of the first husband, so it's as a result of totally permitted relations, which the woman had with her husband before he died. And if it's the child of the last husband, so then it's also not illegal relations, because that means that the first husband did not have any children. So there was an obligation of Yibum, and he fulfilled the mitzvah of Yibum. So the child is certainly not a mamzer, even though it's a doubt as to which father gave birth to him. And the Mishnah says, V'chayavim ba'ashem tolui. They are obligated to bring a korban ashem tolui, which is the korban which one brings in a case where he is not sure whether he is liable to bring a korban chatos. So in this case, since they're not sure whether the, whether the relations were illegal or not, whether there was an obligation of yibam or not, so they are obligated to bring an ashem tolui. Mishnah Gimel, when a woman gets married, in general, any property which she has, the husband may benefit from during the marriage. And there are two categories of property which she can bring into the marriage. The first is known as Nichtsei Tzayn Barzel, and this generally refers to property which she brings into the marriage from the beginning, and fundamentally, Nichtsei Tzayn Barzel are considered to be the property of the husband. It's not the property of the wife which the husband can benefit from. The property itself is considered to be the husband's. However, they generally write the Nechsitzim Barzal in the Kasuba, 
The Kusuba is the document which they write when a man gets married to somebody and written in the document all of the obligations which he has towards the woman and also what he will give her if he divorces her or dies before her. So there's a fixed amount of money which he has to give her, which would go to her from his property. And as well as that, the value of the property which she brings into the marriage, that exact value she would also receive upon divorce or the death of the husband. Whether that property ended up going up or down in value, she would receive the, the exact value which it was worth at the time of marriage. On the other hand, that is the second category of property, and this fundamentally is considered to be her property. Just as the halach is that the husband can benefit from it. And whatever that property produces, for example, if there are lots of, if she has a field and there are lots of trees which produce fruit, so the far, the husband would get the fruit. And examples of niximaloig would include inheritance if she inherits something. So it's considered to be hers, but the husband can benefit from it. And niximaloig are generally not written inside of the kasuba. And the halacha is that they're, since they're considered to be hers, so if they go up or down in value throughout the marriage, at the time that the husband dies or divorces her, she will take the property itself. Whether it went up in value or down in value, it is not dependent on the value at all. Rather, the property remained hers always. So she just takes the property as it is, regardless of its current value. Now the Mishnah in Kasubus says that both according to his Shammah and Bishilel, if a woman who is engaged to a man, which means she has gone through the stage of Kedushin, where the man has acquired her, that's the first half of marriage, but not yet the stage of Nisuin. Nisuin is when they have the chuppah and they have relations together, that is considered the completion of the marriage. And although nowadays we do the Kedushin and Nisuin in one, he gives her the ring under the chuppah, However, in the times of the Mishnah, they would often have a very long gap in between when he would do Kedushin and when he would do Nisuin. The general custom was to wait one year. And the Mishnah sort of states that if she sells any of her property during that period in which she is engaged, meaning she has got Kedushin already, but she has not yet gone through Nisuin, that sale is considered to be a valid sale. And the husband, once they get married, will have no rights over that property which she has already sold. Even if she sold it after he had done Kedushin with her. However, Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel argue over there in that Mishnah as to whether she is allowed to do that ideally. According to Beis Shammai she is, according to Beis Hillel she is not. However, in this case, says the Mishnah, Shemeris Yovom, a Shemeris Yovom whose husband has died, she is awaiting Yibam Uchalitza, Shenoflod Chosim, who inherited property, so this would be considered niximaloig. The truth is we're going to see Beis Hillel will, will discuss other types of property as well, but since Beis Shammai will only talk about the niximaloig, and that is the point about which Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel argue, so the Mishnah's example refers to a case of niximaloig, which are fundamentally her property, says the Mishnah, Noidim Beis Shammai Beis Hillel, both Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel agree, Shemar Cheres Vincenes that she is even ideally allowed to sell it or give it away, and the sale or gift will be considered totally valid, such that the Yovim will have no rights over that property. When it comes to a woman who has got Kedushin already, so Kedushin is is always considered to be the first stage of the real marriage. So to sell property is considered to be depriving the future husband of property which should really go to him. Furthermore, the bond which there is between a man and a woman who are engaged, who have had Kedushin, is considered to be a very strong connection. Proof being that if somebody else has relations with that woman after she has received Kedushin, he is liable to the death penalty. Just like if one has relations with a married woman. 
And that is not the case when it comes to Shemaris Yavam. And also when it comes to Shemaris Yavam, the Yavam could do Chalitza. So if she sells the property, it's not necessarily depriving the Yavam of something which should go to him. There are two choices over here, Yibam or Chalitza. So if she does sell it, even according to Beis Hillel, it is totally okay to sell it. Certainly if she does sell it, it's valid. But even ideally, she is able to do so, because this is different to a woman who is engaged for the two reasons which we just gave. Now what happens if Mesa, the Shemaris Yovam, dies before having received Yibam or Chalitza? Maya what should they do with her kasuba, firstly? That's referring to the money which is written in the kasuba which she receives upon the death or divorce of the husband. And included in the, in the Mishnah's question is also what to do with the nichse tsoin barzel, which are generally written inside of the kasuba. Again, nichse tsoin barzel are the, are the property which fundamentally belongs to the husband, and she receives the exact value which they were worth at the beginning when the husband dies or divorces her. And furthermore asks the Mishnah, what do we do with the property which come into the marriage and out of the marriage with her? And that is referring to the Nechsimeloig, which are fundamentally hers. Who inherits the Shemeris Yovam? On the one hand, if there was no Yovam here, so certainly her father, or if her father isn't alive, then the father's sons would inherit her, because they are considered to be her family. And her husband is no longer alive, so if there was no Yovam, then that would be the Halacha. However, in this case, there is a Yavam, and although he hasn't yet performed any Yibum, there is still a connection between the Yavam and the Shemeris Yavam. There's a Zika, and in a case where he would perform Yibum, so in some ways you view it as if from the time of death, the Yavam had already taken the place of the dead husband. So in some ways, he should get it more, because the husband always inherits his wife, and in some ways, the Yavam is now considered in place of the husband. So with Shammai and Shammai say, when it comes to the Nichse Muloig, which are considered to be her property, the inheritors of the husband, that's referring to the Yavam, should split that property in Yoshe Av with the inheritors of her father. So that either actually means her father himself, and if he is not alive, then it means his children or whoever would inherit her father. Because they both have equal claim. Even before the Yovam has performed Yibam according to his Shammai, he is already considered to be somewhat in place of the dead husband. And so they both have equal claim on it, and therefore they should split it. When it comes to the Nichseitsoin Barzel, which are considered fundamentally the husband's more than the woman herself, they remain in whoever's domain they are associated with. Whoever up until this point had more of a hold on that property. And the truth is, Beis Hillel here is very vague. There is a wide discussion as to what exactly he means in this case. Some understand that it means the husband, so that means the Yovam will inherit all of the Nichseit Tzayn Barzel, because they are more associated with the husband, and therefore the Yovam, who is somewhat in place of the husband, will get all of that property. Whereas others explain that Beis Hillel mean that it should be split. So according to that, Beis Shammai could have actually spoken both about Nechzim Aloig and Nechzit Tzayn Barzel, that the law would be to split both of them. Alright, Kasuba, the Kasuba itself, the money which goes to the woman upon divorce or death of the husband, that is under the hold of the inheritors of the husband, so the Yovam would get all of the money of the Kasuba. 
And the property which goes in and out of the marriage with her, namely the Nechsim So here Beis Hillel argue with Beis Shammai and they say, They are considered under the hold of the inheritors of the father, meaning her family would get all of that, since Nechsim are fundamentally her property. Mishadalit, very short Mishnah, Kanosa, a Yavam who performs Yibum on his Shemeris Yavam. He marries her, so from that point onwards, Harihi Ki'ishtelacholdavar. She is considered to be like his wife for every matter. He has pretty much become in place of her original husband, so all of his property is now considered to be the Yovams. Whatever rights he had to the Nixamaloig, etc., the Yovam now has exactly the same status as the original husband. And part of this law also means that if the Yovam wants to divorce her, so he has to give her a get, just like a regular wife. He can't now do Chalitza. Chalitza won't help, and it's not needed either. Right now they have a regular relationship of husband and wife. With one exception, except that her kasuba is upon the property of her original husband. Meaning, as long as there is property left behind by the original husband, the money which she needs to receive upon divorce or death of the, hus- of the new husband, that money would come from the property which he has inherited from the original husband. Since he was the one who married her originally, so the ksuba was written when he married her, and the Yavam now is just continuing that marriage, he didn't perform a new Kiddushin, at least on a Mid-Araisa level. And as such, the Kasuba would come from the property of the original husband, which the Yavam has now inherited.